Let's face it, AI has gotten a pretty bad rap in the media and pop culture. Just think of Terminator, Blade Runner, or Ex Machina. But I think it's time that we give AI a fair shake. Welcome to Practical AI, the capacity for good, where we speak with some of the brightest minds in the industry about the exciting intersection of AI automation, customer support, and customer experience, and how we can use the latest and greatest technology to help teams do their best work. Welcome to Practical AI, the capacity for good. My name is James Deal, host of the podcast here. And today joining me is Adrian Swinsko, a customer experience advisor, speaker, author, and workshop facilitator. With over 25 years of experience, growing and developing small and large customer-focused businesses. He's the host of Punk CX, a podcast about all things customer service, experience, and engagement, as well as the employee's experience. He's a Forbes contributor with several articles under his belt and also a member of the European Customer Service Organization, ECXO. I heard Adrian in a podcast recently, and he was self-described as an agitator and advocate for better outcomes. I really like that. So Adrian, welcome to the podcast today. Hey, James. Nice to be here. And thank you for inviting me on your kind of show. And I know this might be your first time out on the podcast kind of like stage. So I promise to be gentle. Well, thank you. (laughs) So, you know, love to just start and understand a little bit more about yourself, your background, what brought you to the space you're in, to the books that you've written. Obviously, you've been kind of a prolific participant in the customer experience space. And I'd love to understand a little bit about your journey. So a quick thumbnail sketch. So I'm an economist by background, and I'm also a trained teacher. So maybe applaud me for that or pat me on the back for that one. But I've done various different things. Um, but the thing I've always liked is sort of building things, but also researching and trying to think about things, how to make things kind of better. And probably about sort of 15 years or so ago, I'd after having done a very bunch of different things and then worked for a bunch of different corporates and then worked sort of like independently, I really liked the idea of working independently and sort of needed to figure out how could I do that sustainably. And so I could see the way that the sort of internet was going and needed to understood and needed to develop a digital footprint in order to do that. And so I started my own blog and website, started writing about just general stuff like business strategy, marketing. I mean, and it got really boring very quickly. And then I thought, well, actually, then I need to write about something that I care about or that I don't like and I'd like to change. And I realized very quickly that actually I don't like bad service. Um, it doesn't make me kind of like abnormal or exceptional. There's a lot of people that don't like bad service. I don't think anybody, I don't know anybody that, that really likes bad service. But the thing when I thought about it, having built things that had sort of customer and employee value, value proposition, like customer and employee value at their heart, it always frustrated me that often how organizations get in the way of their people doing a good job. And so I started just thinking about that and then writing about it and just sort of exploring it. And that sort of right up to now has led me to be writing a blog for the last kind of like, say, 15 years. I started a podcast about 12 years ago. I've written four books. I've been writing for Forbes now for about nine years. And amongst all of that has allowed me to develop a bit of a voice and a footprint in this sort of like space as this, as you say, an agitator and an advocate for kind of better outcomes, because that's fundamentally the only thing I'm really interested in is how do we build organizations that 
produce better outcomes for both their customers and their people and their other stakeholders. And it sounds from, so to just kind of think about that, it sounds like when you're talking about in your books and uh, in your podcast, the way to produce better outcomes for the customer is really to start internally. Do you believe that? Well, yes, it is. But I think it also starts from understanding. And it's so I'm also a collector of quotes. And one of the quotes I really like is one that's been attributed to Einstein. And it said, and Einstein was repeatedly said, if you give me a problem and an hour to solve it, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and then five minutes solving it. The problem is, is that we tend to do the opposite because the challenge that we find ourselves in with this modern, technologically fueled, fast-paced, modern business kind of life is that thinking about something or understanding it looks a lot like doing nothing. And therefore, kind of, we get rewarded for doing stuff, right? Um, and sometimes we need to we do better if we actually go against the grain and actually step back and think about something a bit more clearly to better understand it. And so to go back to your kind of question around, is it best to start internally? Well, it might be if that's what the problem requires, but it also might be that we need to spend a bit more time understanding our customers and what problems our customers are facing and what questions they have or what things that they want to achieve. And so I think that's where I would kind of like start it. So I'm not necessarily a fan of kind of frameworks or answers or all these different things, but I'm a fan of understanding the problem and then thinking about, oh, okay, what tools do we require in order to solve that problem, given the context that we find ourselves in? It's a bit like going to like a hardware store, right? And you buy a whole bunch of stuff and then you go home. Then you start thinking about, now what are we going to do with it? Rather than thinking about what needs fixed or what do you want to build? Or how do you want to create, what do you want this new room to look like? And then you go and kind of pick the tools and the parts and the kind of the spares and the supplies in order to help you achieve that. And that's what I mean by that. Okay, good. So if we take a step back then from that perspective, and if you were to look at the customer experience industry or the customer support industry over the last 10 years, what major themes have you seen or what has changed in that space? And then where do we sit today as you would analyze the industry? I think the thing what we saw is that we saw like a gradual curve, like up to the end of say 2019, we had a gradual curve of increasing sort of digitization as things kind of go. And then when we entered into 2020 and then the global pandemic hit and like everything changed over the last three years, I think we've, some people have estimated that we've gone through a massive acceleration in terms of our ability to well, digitization and kind of development of technology and what we kind of can do. And so the leaps that we've taken forward in, in the last three years possibly equate to sort of a jump forward of around some in the region of five, sometimes 10, if not more years than we would normally have done over the kind of normal times, as it were. So I actually think we can't just look at the last 10 years and go, it's like one homogenous sort of like time. There's like before... COVID, and then now what's happening. And what we need to realize is that the things have fundamentally changed. Behavior has fundamentally changed. Consumer behavior, there's been this massive shift to digital, and that's been largely enforced upon people of all kind of ages. And new tools and techniques and ways of working and ways of interacting um, have emerged. And technology has accelerated. And we just look at more recently, kind of like the emergence of, you know, not just large language models, because those are impressive and powerful, 
But it's just general kind of, it, and it's not just those things that's improved and, and are going to make the difference. It's also the improvement in, in computing power and the improvement in kind of like pipeline and latency and all these different sort of things that enables that sort of stuff. Large language models have been around for decades, the very idea about them, but we've not necessarily had the computing power and the bandwidth in order to be able to fully kind of utilize them. And that's kind of what, those are the things that are really coming to the fore. So it's not just the artificial intelligence per se, it's also the platforms that they sit on and what makes them accessible that, that's really changing the game. So the things I think that's, that's really interesting is that we've seen this in the last three years, we've seen this massive acceleration of changes, massive shift to digital. Um, we've seen people trying to adopt technology to try and serve that, to help people self-serve, to operate remotely, to do all these different sort of things. And many people have rushed in to buying tools, and they had to, but it's meant that things haven't necessarily gone as well as we would have liked. And it's almost a bit like we've created this thing that's been held together with duct tape, and now we're through the other side, and things are still marching sort of thing, and now we've got to figure out how do we build for the future, and what does the future kind of look like? But then we have to, to help us guide us on that. I think we need to still come back to the idea that... What is the problem that we're trying to face? You know, what is the problem we're facing? What is the experience that we would like to deliver? For me, I think that's the thing that afflicts many organizations is that people are generally in reactive mode. They're trying to plug in all these kind of like technologies and say, oh, we need to do this because it helped this, we need to do this and it helped that. And that's kind of fair enough if you feel like you've got a leaky boat and you're sinking but it's not necessarily going to make you kind of sail better to kind of, you know, or sail to the right destination. And I think that's one of the things that we fail to do is to take a step back and go, where are we currently and where would we like to be given what we know about our customers, our kind of like our support proposition or our experience proposition, and what will the technology allow us to do like now and also kind of in the future? So setting that kind of goal and then understanding kind of what's the path that we need to plot in order to, uh, to achieve that. So I'd love for you to expand a little bit on, uh, you had a recent podcast actually on Punk CX and you had a guest of uh, Sue Duras from M4 Communications. And something that stood out to me is that we can't be digital first, we have to be customer first. I kind of sense that's what you're talking about a little bit here is you can't just be all in on digital and think that's going to solve the problem. So what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, so Sue made a great point and it's that kind of related to this idea that, you know, we're not digital beings. We are human beings. You know, we are not our data. We are not the tools that we use. We are flesh and bone and blood and veins and, you know, neurons and synapses and all these different sort of things. And therefore we have to start with the human and the human experience, whether that's as a customer or as an agent or an employee or partner. And we have to see the real problems the problems that we actually can like face. And it's not that, you know, being digital first, yes, that might be a strategy in order to kind of serve the customer if that's appropriate. But just defaulting to digital first feels like a very self-centered point of view. We're going to go there because that's easy for us or that's best for us, if that makes sense. That may require people to make hard choices. I mean, there's research that was around in 2016 that was done. There's a global study that was done by, it was Accenture at the time, and it's no longer freely available. But one of the biggest headlines that came out of that piece of global research, because even then there was this, companies were putting more and more sort of digital tools and functionality into their kind of mix. And the majority of customers from around the world 
were increasingly complaining that service was becoming increasingly humanless. And that's something that's resonated kind of like throughout the years. And that was, I think the research was done in possibly 2015, but it came out in 2016. So we're, we're getting on for being nearly eight years old. Those themes about being kind of humanless manifested itself in the, you know, the pandemic where people were going, oh, we need to do this digital self-service stuff. And yes, they had to, but it was done from a purely sort of functional basis. And people were then, you know, increasingly bemoaning the idea that service was lacking empathy, which you can see as being almost a proxy for kind of being humanless. You know, so under stress, we as human beings, it's likely the majority of us are likely to not necessarily start texting a chatbot. So Adrian, I was wondering if maybe you could expand a little bit on based off of your experience in customer experience, how has customer support changed over the past decade? As you think about the space, what is either new technology? And we'll get to the AI piece, which of course is like the thing in so many ways today, right? But I'm thinking pre that, what are you seeing over the last 10 years in the way of change? I mean, I think the biggest thing is obviously I mean, this is accelerated by the pandemic, is being, we've seen this massive shift to digital from on both sides, from a customer demand perspective, and then also from a brand perspective, trying to help customers help themselves or uh, trying to develop their kind of digital kind of channels and ways that they engage with their customers. And so I think that's one of the biggest kind of changes. And there's like different, if you take the last 10 years, we're now in 2023, the sort of like splits into the the pandemic and sort of post-pandemic years, which probably be the last sort of three years. And we're sort of still just coming out of that sort of turmoil, but there's been with well, the other things layered on the top. And then they're free that. So I think the pace of ch- the change has been happening and then it just accelerated almost exponentially 2020, 2021. And I think we're getting to a point where now expectations have shifted that customers, they want to self-serve. They want that to be easy and intuitive. They want it to be connected such that when they kind of escalate into live or asynchronous, semi-live kind of channel, they want the organization to understand what they've been doing and what they've been saying and not having to repeat themselves yet. So those experiences or the expectations rather are kind of up here. And the challenge for companies is to keep up with that. I mean, there was some research that was done not so long ago that said, actually, curiously, that the main frustration for customers was shared by agents. And that is customers routinely and now almost perennially say they are frustrated when they end up having to talk to somebody. They can't self-serve, but they end up trying to talk to somebody that they end up having to repeat information. And that frustration is shared by agents. Agents are, they don't want to ask people like, ah, they're like going, hi, James, how can I help you? Tell me why you're here today. Kind of like, or what's your name? Or tell me your account number or whatever it might be. They kind of want things to be connected. They want... And customers don't think about this and don't talk in these terms. But if it was to paraphrase what they're kind of they're saying is they want brands to deliver on the promise of omni-channel, which means I can contact you by any channel um, I want through any channel I offer, and I might flip between different channels, but I want you to see that in a connected, integrated kind of like stream. And if you're not, you're playing catch up. 
because you've got to manage the frustration with that, that comes with all of that, which then gets foisted onto the you know to the agent, and you're always in in many ways you're on you're already on the back foot, and so there's catch up kind of thing. And so I think that's kind of one of the things that we've seen this massive acceleration in customer expectations and what they're seeing can what they've been they've chosen to do, what they've been forced to do, but also what they're seeing and the expectations are up kind of here. And then the pressure is on brands to catch up and to meet those expectations, not necessarily exceed them, just meet them for goodness sake. And what are you seeing or how are you seeing businesses successfully try to meet those expectations then? So I think that the leading ones are the ones that just try and take a rush to it and then try and almost like put a sticking plaster of all these things and try and force things together. I think the people that lead are the ones that they stop and they kind of, they momentarily, they stop and they kind of go and they think about, they go, okay, what is the problem that we're facing here? To truly understand what's getting in the way of kind of them meeting that. Then to think a bit forward around, okay, what is it that we actually want to achieve? You know, how do we envision our support or our service experience to be in the next 12 months or 18 months or whatever it might be? And then build kind of to that rather than so they move from a being a having a more of a proactive sort of strategy rather than a reactive strategy. Because there's a reality of all of this, this sort of stuff, which is that many organizations they struggle with different types of systems, legacy systems, kind of different contract lengths, all these different sort of things. And so sometimes they're limited in what they can do at certain times. And so they have to understand what are the constraints that they operate within. And then think about, well, that's your starting kind of point. And then think about, well, okay, how does understanding where we are is crucial to be able to understand how you get from where you are to where you want to be. And sometimes organizations are just trying to patch, do this patchwork kind of thing and not necessarily communicating with their customers sufficiently enough or transparently enough to really help them understand what they're doing. And so they just end up doing all these things. And sometimes it just makes it more complicated for the customers or it disappoints our customers and sometimes it makes it more complicated for their agents. And so it's a thing that, that I find is, I wouldn't say it's endemic, but it's it's really quite common. And that is, if you ask kind of a brand, tell me what your vision is for your broader customer experience and or your service experience. And tell me in a way that it's these buzzwords, but tell me in a way that is populated by stories about kind of the outcomes you want to encourage or engender deliver to your customers achieve. And then tell me about what's your plan, what's your strategy to, in order to go from where you currently are to that point and help you achieve that. That idea about having that vision and strategy in place is missing in many kind of cases. And because I think people get caught up in the doing or feeling like they need to, they're trying to keep up or they get caught up in the kind of the next popular or kind of like emergent kind of hype technology or whatever. I mean, like two years ago, it was Bitcoin or blockchain, then it last year it was metaverse. Now that this year it's it's generative AI. You know, it's we're all magpies really, but we could really need to try and stop being magpies. Okay. Well, so that's a great transition to talking about the newest thing that's out there, which is generative AI, large language models. Automation and AI is not a, a new thing. It's people have been talking about it. People have in the customer experience and customer support space have been trying to figure out how to do automation. You know, IVR automation has been around for a while. And for the most part, it hasn't been very good. I mean, most of us have poor experiences and you're just you're hitting zero or you're saying agent because you just know it's not going to work. 
certainly it seems like we have reached something different and something new with the large language models that have now come out from ChatGPT with ChatGPT4 being released and Microsoft and now Amazon. And like, it feels like we're in a new place. It feels like these are things that are actually big game changers. So how do you think about that as it relates to the customer support space today or and really what i'd like to think about is more the customer experience we you know you've talked about digital first but i think there's this idea of not just digital first but customer first that you've talked about so how does somebody remain customer first but take advantage of what's new with these large language models and generative ai so first of all i'll say that large language technology has been around for decades and the, the possibility of it has been around for decades. And I think it's really improved is one, the size of the models and what they've been able to learn, but also the computing power that's gone with them that has improved the latency. So you can get answers in real time rather than because like putting your kind of like quarter in the slot and then you're waiting for the kind of it churns away and then it whoop, a couple hours later, it pops out an answer. It's not like that. It's been set up so it's almost like instant, it's on demand, it's consumable. Now, it's incredibly impressive what's been achieved. One of the things I think about with that is that, again, it's that sort of magpie type of approach. Because we don't want to get it caught up in the technology, and it will always change in advance. And so maybe the question is, what is the problem at hand? Or what is the task at hand? What is the challenge? You know, What is it we're trying to do or to eliminate or to improve? And can this technology, is it the right tool to help us address that problem or challenge or, or task that we want to kind of eliminate. Rather than going, here's large language model technology, so a massive spanner, and I'm going to try and figure out kind of where I can put the spanner around the organization, I think that's the wrong way around. The right way around is always going to be about what is the outcome that we want to try and deliver. Because ChatGPT and Bard or Ernie or some other Muppet-inspired sort of like name for an intelligent you know, chatbot. It's a big spanner. And I think one of the things we need to do is we need to figure out, okay, what are they going to be? And I think this will emerge over time, I think is the, um, what are the real use cases for it? What are the real kind of things that we can solve kind of for it? And to realize where are the limitations? That being said, I think we need to split out. There's the public chat GPT Bard and Ernie sort of stuff. And there's generative AI, large language models that you can build and source on your own and not use it as that you can point to domain-specific knowledge bases. I think that's really interesting where you can control some things. But I've always come to the perspective of what is the job that I'd like to do? What is it that I would like to achieve? And is this the right thing, the right tool to do it? Is it this or is it RPA or is it this or is it this or is it this? That's kind of where I come at it, because I think that the technology is impressive. What's been generated, been produced, and outdated developers is clearly impressive. But I think we need to go back to first principles around, again, what is it we want to do? Why do we want to do it? And what are options um, around trying to achieve that? And I think if we do that and we get clear on that, then we'll have it will give us a better and probably a more measured way of actually thinking about the technology and how to apply it. It's almost a bit like we need to establish the terms of reference for the technology, you know, with reference to the kind of the problem that, that we're trying to address. Sure, absolutely. 
you know, as we think about these addressing these problems and within an organization and how do you apply then AI or automation to it? One of the things I think that's super important in customer service, and I think you talk about this, is empathy and compassion in relation to delivering a successful and an engaging customer support experience. We haven't really seen AI be able to to replicate that or to do that. So what strategies, if you have any thoughts on, what strategies can organizations use to integrate both empathy and AI together? I mean, I think maybe some of it you were talking about with, you know, solving the problem, you know, really looking at the problem and using the right solutions. And sometimes maybe it's not always AI, but but when you're bringing them together, what are some things to be thinking about when you... What we also need to remember is that when we're thinking about empathy and empathetic interactions. I think we also need to remember that our probably our baseline and our benchmark for what we think is good will probably come from some part of our one or two or a group of historical interactions that we've had with other people in the past. And I think that's which where it gets really exciting, where you can have real-time analytics that can identify, that was a great call, great outcome, really empathetic, all these different things, or whether it's kind of like it's a call or it's an email or kind of like WhatsApp interaction, whatever it might be. And you can have the technology kind of flags that and they go, okay, that's kind of flagged and tagged in a database in your sort of conversational archive. And if that means that you can start to use that as that builds over time, as you interact with it, if you can use technology to try and access that in real time and make suggestions off the back of that time. So almost a bit like you end up with into that sort of real-time guidance type of space where somebody's kind of like maybe they're on a phone or kind of doing something kind of that's written, something that can auto-suggest we're like, oh, they feel a little bit tense. In the past, we've done this, or this is how somebody's done this, or this is they've said this, or so da da And then you end up with this real-time sort of guidance. I think that is exciting because actually, if you think about it in the round, the key area I think that we're going to see a lot of development of, and I think it's really exciting, is in the, the whole agent experience space. And I think we need to start, and it's something I've written in the past, is that you know we think about customer experience and we think about this range of it where it's everything from preemptive, predictive, proactive, self-service, AI-enabled, and then you end up with into like a live or semi-live interaction, right? So it's a big, the whole, we'd like the customers to help themselves where possible and or get, we can get ahead of problems and help customers kind of understand how to self-serve as things show up, as we predictively think they're going to show up. But eliminate through the use of intelligent technology and automation, most of the simple, mundane, high-volume stuff. And the things that get to agents will become increasingly complex, complicated, emotionally heavy, urgent, crucial, that type of thing. And so what happens is going to be that if somebody's wrestled their way through all our digital kind of like stuff and then they've gone, can't do that, I have to call them, or they've just gone straight to, I need to call you, then the expectation, I think, on the customer's part just goes up. They're like going, I'm going to speak to a human being. Sure. They should be able to solve my problem. Like they're going to get it. They're going to get me and take care of it right like that. Just like that. And so what we need to do is we start to think about the agent experience and kind of how I phrase it. It's like, how do we operationalize excellence in the moment? And maybe to help us think about that, think about the agent experience in the same way that we think about the customer experience, i.e. what's predictive, what's preemptive, what's proactive, what's IAI enabled, all these things to help the agent focus on the interaction and be in the moment. 
And so to not be distracted thinking about, oh, where do I go to find that piece of knowledge? Or who do I connect that person to? Or how do I get access to this? And which tab is this going to be on? Because even most research shows that kind of like most agents are dealing with anywhere between eight to 15 different applications to solve the majority of customer kind of queries that come through to them. And some agents, depending on the industry, are using up to 40 different applications. Now, you can imagine, just imagine a browser. Imagine having 40 tabs open. I mean, that's mind-blowing. It's like, how do you navigate that? And so if you think about it from an agent's perspective, how their job is becoming more demanding, dealing with these more complex, complicated kind of um, issues, is then I think the challenge for us is to think about how do we help them achieve those better outcomes, those swifter, more effective, more efficient outcomes for the customer when they kind of get in the moment. And if we do that, we deliver positive outcomes for our customers too. And that therein lies the challenge for how do we harness data and technology guided by having the right sort of vision and strategy in kind of place in order to kind of like towards better future. So in one of your recent podcasts, I think you discussed the need for humanization instead of personalization. I think this ties to kind of what we were just talking about here. So how do we, you know, we were talked about using AI to make the experience more empathetic, to help the agent be a better agent, to make a better outcome. If we're talking about humanization versus personalization, what's the difference between those terms for starters? How do you see them? I mean, for me, I would zoom out a little bit and talk about personalization kind of generally. And I think we know that, and research supports that customers want it. They want more personalized interactions. They want brands that they like and do business with them, to know them, to understand them, to respect them, to listen to them. And they want personalized service and personalized experience. And brands want to deliver it as well because they see the value in it. Because it's engaging, it's sticky, it drives you know retention and loyalty and all that sort of stuff. And but the problem is, is that the research also shows that they're at cross purposes because brands boil a lot of that down to how can I sell you more stuff, right? And it becomes personalization becomes limited to almost like marketing campaigns and not to actually, I'm more than my wallet. I'm this human being that wants to have a relationship with you, but it's like, it's, there is a journey and a life cycle kind of to that. And customers get frustrated because they believe that the research suggests they believe that brands are just not listening to them and all they're interested in is actually selling them more stuff. And you go, well, yeah, that makes sense because they're commercial organizations and they're trying to make profit. But if they don't change their ways, there's so much choice out there that customers can just walk, go somewhere else. When we think about personalization, I think it starts to converge with humanization when you start to really listen and to respect and to really kind of understand and clue in on, on what a customer kind of wants, where you actually kind of like, it's not just about selling you stuff, it's about helping you, being an important part of your life where that's appropriate. So it's like personalization, meeting care and respect as part of the package, right? Is that having almost like a an agreement about what does a personalized experience actually look like to you? And then if you really drill into that with the change in data and privacy legislation and the deprecation of third-party cookies and all that type of stuff, and how increasingly personalization is going to be driven by first-party data, um, which is you know, which is kind of fine. Now, many brands are just not quite ready 
for that. And they're still reliant on third-party data. But the actual, the ones that are leading the charge on this realize that first-party data is great. And I'll give you a picture of what's likely to happen. But if you really, really want to go down and zero in on this and, and really deliver on the one-to-one engagement that is the, the ultimate promise of personalization, then you have to pass first-party data and you have to get to zero-party data where you actually turn around and go, we know all this stuff about you. We want to get your take on it too. You know, We want to ask you what's important to you and we will respect that. We will act on it and we'll build it into our, you know, our decisioning models. So for example... It's not quite happening kind of yet, but it could extend to all sorts of different channels. It could be there is digital only where there's a pop-up which says, hey, we'd like to serve you better. Tell us a couple of things like the why behind the buy type of stuff, the psychographic type stuff. They collect this data that's kind of exclusively for you and they just push it straight into their, their CRM and a decisioning kind of like platform. And then that tells them about how they should engage with Adrian or James or, or a future basis. Now you can extend that, not just to digital kind of channels, but given where we are looping back to the whole real-time sort of technology with the whole generative AI, large language model understanding and things, is that imagine you've had that agent on a call and they've had all these kind of great tools that have been helping them in the moment, live that, deliver that empathetic sort of experience. And then the, at the end, I say to you, hey, James, I think just checked on all your, that's all, set up and it's updated for you. That's all good. Anything else I can help you with? And you were like, no, that's great. And then I go, actually, James, do you have 20 seconds? I'd like to ask you a couple of questions so we can better, we can serve you kind of better in terms of personalize it. And you go, hey, yeah, no problem. That's fine. I go like, James, a couple of quick fire questions. If I said this to you and you, I said that to you, what would you say? You give me the answers. You go like, that's brilliant. Our systems will automatically parse out that thing, push it into our, you know, our CRM, into our decisioning layer, and you'll see a difference in how we engage with you going forward. Just like that. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's fantastic. Right? That's crazy. Right. Yeah. Simple, but crazy. I mean, the title of, the, of your podcast is Practical AI, right? That's Practical AI. Absolutely. Perfect. But that requires a design sort of mentality and understanding the problems and the empathy and the kind of the cluing into the kind of the people and all that sort of, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so I think that's kind of where we're heading. And as a prospect, I think that's probably quite cool. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So you've written several books. One of your books is called Punk CX. Can you tell us a little bit about where that came from, the genesis of that book, and then who is it intended for? So it started, it came about, it started as a genesis of an idea a few years ago. And it was the tiny little seed of the idea came in a Guinness laden conversation with a friend of mine, Oshin. <laughs> that was yeah. really great. And we were both in that sort of experience space. And we were saying, yeah, you know, it's great. The level of activity, the level of enthusiasm, the level of investment, and all these different things in the whole experience space is great. But I was frustrated by the lack of significant improvements in, in these customer outcomes that I talk about. And after a few bites of Guinness, I blurted out, I wish somebody would do something a bit more punk. Now, I'm a fan of punk music. And so that idea sort of sat with me for a little while. And I thought about where punk came from. And punk, in large part, was a reaction to the progressive rock movement in the 1970s. Now, progressive rock, whilst popular, was also accused of being overly elaborate, self-indulgent, more interested in itself than anything else and its own virtuosity, etc. And punk was this push away from this, this explained at the back of it. And it said, well, actually, you know what? It's not about, you don't need a PhD in music to kind of be in a band, pick up a guitar or pick a pair of drumsticks and write some tunes and have a go. 
And it was all done with, a, it's very DIY, it's very democratic, it's all heart and emotion, it's about creating an impact. And that sort of evolution made me think, I was like, ah. Oh. And it made me think about the state of the experience space. And I said, there is a possibility that the customer experience space is exhibiting some of the same characteristics as the progressive rock space did in the 1970s. Now it's becoming overly codified, benchmark, framework, metrics, et cetera, et cetera. Like, almost like more interested in itself than its constituents or its customers. And I said, well, therefore, if that's true, then what would a punk version look like? And so that's where that's the hypothesis behind the whole book is styled like a punk album or like a fanzine. It's full color. You know, you've it's like this. Done effectively as an art project. It was done as a more of a way of trying to challenge people to do better sort of work. And it's oh, just almost by accident. It's become a thing that's kind of resonated with people, but it's just kind of cool because it's just like reignited my interest in punk culture and music and all that sort of stuff. And so it's been fun. And But it cuts through a whole bunch of different things. And it's just a central challenge to say, it doesn't have to be this formulate kind of almost industrial economic style of thing sort of thing. Ultimately, it's about doing something that changes things and not being scared to do something that's different or go against the grain or kind of whatever. So like, say for example, some people might go in, oh, we're adding more channels. And you go, okay, what happens if we kind of add less? What happens if, because we know this, is that as you add channels, and particularly if it's a support channel or service channel, that invariably what happens in a contact center or a support service space is you add channels, but you generally don't get more resources in order to serve those channels, right? And so you're asked to do more with the same amount, which equates to less per channel. And you wonder why it's hard to keep up. And we're looking for technology to come and save us. I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. But why don't we just make it easier for ourselves? What if we flipped it around and went going, well, how about this? Is that we know that we will travel for a better service or better experience. Like say you've got a local restaurant, you got one that's two blocks away and yeah, and it's okay. Right. But you've got one that's five blocks away and it's really good. Are you going to settle for the two blocks or are you going to walk the extra three blocks to get the good one? Probably walk the extra three blocks. Right. Because we know that that matters intuitively that we travel for a better service and experience. I think that's in a physical domain. I'm pretty sure that happens, and that would probably work in a digital domain as well. If you communicate to customers and went, we're not over there, we're not over there, we're not over there, but we're here, and we're going to be knocked out of the park great here. So if you want great, we're here. And you concentrate and focus your resources on being great at a few rather than average at a lot. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating that people should do that and go, start chopping away all the channels. I'm just saying... That's almost a bit of a counterintuitive way of thinking about how things are currently set out. And I think there's evidence to suggest that, you know, if you think about something like Amazon, how many channels does Amazon serve its customers over? You know, I think I only interact with them over their app. Right. So generally their app or their website. And everything is within the app and the website. It could be bots and messaging and phone calls and all these different sort of stuff. But you have to be logged in. But you know, I don't even think I've ever called Amazon. Oh, I have. Pick up the phone really quickly. Well, see, that's amazing. So, I mean, you got me thinking, there's a lot of organizations out there that have started this no voice. It's just a digital channel. It's just email. It's just a messaging channel of some kind. That seems 
counterintuitive. I mean, I don't know that that's working. I mean, have you had any experiences with brands or businesses that say that that's worked really well for them or where you've seen that work really well, where you trim the channels so much, particularly with voice and you just go? Yeah. So I think there's two different kind of things there, perspectives, I think, in there. There are people that start like digital only, no voice, and then that's just the way that they start and that's the way that they go. And they build everything around sort of that. And I think it's easier for them, people in cases like that, to not have a voice channel because they've never had one. And then you get other brands that turn around and go, and they make a big, da-da, no voice. Is that a sensible thing to do, just to announce it like that? The phones have chucked them out. You're like going, I'm not sure what the comms strategy was on that. It might have made sense from a, a commercial and service strategy perspective. But I'm pretty sure I'm not sure what the comms strategy on it and what why there was the value was where was the value in them announcing that to the world. So do I think that people should turn off voice? I mean, I think it depends on them. I don't I think that's you have to decide whether you're, you know, there's like a matrix, right? It's like which goes from low touch to high touch and low tech to high tech. And you've got to understand where you are at on that and where you want to be if that's kind of going to change. And then do things that fit your commercial positioning, your brand proposition, your strategy, all of that sort of like stuff, right? So we've talked about empathy and humanization. We've talked about thinking differently. What are some key questions that you might throw out there that an organization should ask itself as it's kind of embarking and thinking about its customer experience strategy? What is the vision you have for your experience? Or what do you envision your customer's experience to be at some point in the future? Pick a date some point in the future and describe it to me. And don't use any buzzwords and talk in the language of customers. And then describe what it's currently like and then figure out where the gaps are. And then at the same time, flip it and then ask yourself the same sort of questions around your delivery mechanism or your agent experience. What's it currently like now? What's your delivery mechanism right now in terms of trying to drive these customer experience or trying to support customer experience? What does it look like right now? What does it look like from an agent's perspective or a marketeer's perspective or trying to do all this thing? And how would you like it to be in the future? Do those things kind of match? And then you can start to think about, okay, well, what do we need to do to make to get us from where we are to where we want to be. And and how do we make that internally consistent with our own organizational dynamics? And how does it make sense for our corporate and commercial objectives? Because that way we end up maintaining relevance and ROI. You know, this is the, and the bottom line, we can't, we're not doing this for fun or for free, you know, and this is one of the things that people get stuck in. They go like, oh, we'll do this because it'll make it easier. Okay, fine. Or it'll improve our CSAT or our NPS and all that stuff. I said, that's all good. That's all fair enough. But you're talking about correlation there. around if oh, we improve our, site, our CSAT or improve our NPS, they'll, our revenue will go up. Well, it, it might. What I want people to work harder on is, is actually to go down and drill down into the, what is the causative effects of some of the work that you're doing? And how is it linked to some of your key business drivers? Does it make you more attractive, so it attracts more customers? Does it make he, you know, better at converting prospects into customers? Does it make the buying experience kind of easier so you get less kind of abandonment and all these t- different types of things? Or, you know, or does it increase your order size or your frequency of repeat purchase? Or does it improve your cost to serve? 
through for whether it's actually just lowers your unit cost to serve or improves your throughput and improves efficiency and all these different things. Those are real things that you can tie to your PL. And that's where you get relevance. So I think this has been a really great conversation. And I, I think I've just got a couple more questions for you as we kind of wrap up. And one of them is going to be a real softball. But before we get to that one, you recently wrote an article. It appeared in Forbes and you talked about the messy middle of customer experience. That phrase caught me. And so I guess as we kind of wrap up, I'm curious, does that messy middle of customer experience something where businesses just have to sit and figure that out? Like that's just a tension that they always sit in? Or is that a process or a place that you come through as a business? And what does that look like if that's the case? So a big shout out to Michael Ramsey of ServiceNow, who is the one that coined that that phrase. And I think it's a great phrase because it describes a lot of the reality that happens within organizations that say, I can call you and it could all be very slick and this, that, and the other. If it's a simple query, but if it's something where I, I need more information or I need to get connected to somebody else, or it's more technical or whatever it might be, or it's a harder to solve thing then you encounter all sorts of complicated plumbing, legacy systems, bureaucratic process, all these different sort of things. And so the messy middle sort of describes the situation that many of us hopefully don't get stuck into, but can cause big problems for organizations. There was, I think in the article I talked about, there was somebody who was the victim of bank fraud or something. And they were trying to get that sort of their account reinstated and getting refunded and, and so forth. But because it was an exceptional thing and it required also the, the interaction of all sorts of different sort of departments, just took them an absolute age. And I think they were collectively on the phone to their bank for like 48 hours or something, not in one stretch, but over a number of different times. And a lot of that was to do with the fact that the lack of interconnected kind of systems. And I think the other thing it kind of points out to me is that sometimes those things really trip us up because we think about our, if you imagine our service experience interactions, they probably fall on like a bell curve. And we probably focus on the largest part, the 80%. But we do well to think about some of the exceptions that sit on the either end, other side of the bell curve. Because those are the things that can cause in order kind of like incredible problems and bad press, but also great press and stuff as well. And sometimes you want to understand when the good things happen because people just go up above and beyond. And sometimes you can't control for that. You just have to allow it to happen. But it's the things that happen when things get kind of bad and people then smash up against the kind of the the dark corners of an organization that doesn't that people don't pay attention to. Like, for example, complaints. Most organizations are horrible at complaints because you you end up hitting like the messy middle type of thing because it's like it's paperwork and bureaucracy and investigations and all these different sort of things. And it can cause a lot of kind of problems. I think that my point with all of that sort of stuff is that actually you have to, when you think about delivering a good customer experience, you have to be willing to look into the dark corners because it affects everything. If somebody kind of like somebody wanders into those kind of dark corners or got, gets stuck in one of those dark corners, it taints everything. 
Well, again, Adrian, thanks for joining me on this podcast, uh, Practical AI, The Capacity for Good. Really enjoyed having you on. And one last question as we wrap up here. We've talked a lot about customer experience, a lot about customer support. I'd love to hear, if you can, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but if, if you could create a life experience for yourself or your family, what would that look like today? You probably had a lot of experiences, but I think that there's this idea that you know, we live off of memories, we enjoy good experiences that builds positive, reinforces positive feelings. And so I think as individuals, that's what we kind of look for. We're, we've been talking a lot about that as we look for that in the organizations that we interact with. But so from your standpoint, as a as a person, if you were to create an experience for yourself or your family, ideally, maybe right now, like without regard for money, do you have any that pop to mind that you would want to create or experience? I would like to see more CEOs or senior execs get closer to the customer's real experience. Like, because I think too often they're too distant from the things. And I think about things in a way that we've got so much data around us right now, incredibly valuable and very useful. I have a way of sort of thinking about it, which says data informs us, stories move us, but experiences compel us, right? And I think that many organizations use data, they start to use, try and tell stories, but only very few go out and seek out those experiences. And what I mean the experience is actually the experience of actually hearing about somebody else's experience firsthand and taking the time to do that. So it wouldn't be wonderful if it turned out you got like a big brand that I'm a customer of. Either somebody sends me an email and says like, I am, hey, Adrian, I'm the CMO of such and such a brand and we're doing this thing where, and this is not kind of like, this is me. You can actually, you can email me back sort of thing. I just want to kind of like say, thank you, but also wanted to check on how you're getting on with the product. Is there anything else we could do better? Blah, 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 whatever. Or here's a question I'd like to ask you. And by the way, don't click this link, just reply to me and I'll answer it directly. And I'm doing that not for everybody. I'm just doing it for everything. Whether that's an email or a phone call or kind of showing up and serving people working on the front line or whatever it might be. I would like to see people kind of close that kind of loop because that I think it'd be valuable for them and it'd be memorable for anybody that received that outreach. That interaction. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the seed that starts to grow stories. Well, great. Enjoyed the conversation here today, Adrian. Thanks again for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. So long. Practical AI, the capacity for good is brought to you by Capacity, an automated help desk knowledge base and customer experience platform. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you would like to improve your customer experience and internal operations, head over to capacity.com and get started for free. On behalf of the whole team, thanks for listening.